Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm chatting to paediatric dietitian Michelle Saunders about the difference between a fussy eater and a problem feeder. Here's part two. So the idea is that consistency with putting this division of responsibility in place that the child eventually decides, eats when it's in front of them because they know that nothing else is coming. Yeah. Can that take a while? Like how consistent do we need to be? Yeah. I mean that. (laughs) (laughs) I I just wanted to be devil's advocate with that question to you because I know how consistent you need to be. It it depends on the child. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't like to use the term stubborn. Let's say (laughs) strong-willed children. Uh, It could be it feels like it's an ongoing battle for a really long period of time. Yeah. Just being really consistent with your message so that they know that there isn't, you know, they'll try their luck. But yeah. so, you know, you're setting a clear message to them. No, you know, I like to say the phrase, you don't have to eat it, but this is what's for dinner. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. hungry, this is what there is to fill your tummy up with. Yeah. Um, again, offering foods you know are readily accepted along with those less accepted foods. Yeah. Okay. So that way you're avoiding mealtime battles. You can relax a little bit or, you know, I know there is something in that meal that they are quite comfortable with eating. Yeah. Um, and again, if they're feeling comfortable and relaxed, they're more likely to want to explore the other foods. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but if they choose to not eat it, they might not be hungry. So trying yeah. to force other food or offering alternatives we're starting to teach them non-hungry eating behaviours. And, you know, that's the last thing we want to do. We want them to keep only eating in response to their appetite. Yeah, true. Yeah, absolutely. And so I always like to think of these things, you know, it's easy within the health realm of developing new healthy eating habits and or feeding your kids is like, you know, I remember saying to parents, I'd have to say, don't go home and put your child through like a two-week boot camp because mm. <laughs> this is going to be an, it's actually you have to put some boundaries in place in your family that you can consistently apply for a really long time I said because it's a journey I said I have my kids periodically even now mm. being 11 and 12 will, I'll put dinner down and they'll be like I'm not eating that I want that in the fridge and I'm like sorry that's what's for dinner and I was like yep. this is how our family's been running for like 10 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like it's an ongoing journey. Yeah. And so you're not actually supposed to expect perfection out of your child to eat every mm. dinner. Like it's f- fully normal for them to genuinely just be like, I'm actually not hungry and I'm not going to eat this meal. Or they are just digging their heels in and they've decided that they're not hungry enough to eat what they don't like in front of yeah. them. And that's yeah. just, you're just like, cool. Exactly. That's, you know, that's balls in their court. Yeah. <laughs> they, and, you know, if they are truly starving, you know, let's face it, we're not serving them disgusting things. Yeah. So or unsafe things, yeah. Or unsafe things. So, you know, if they're hungry, they will have the motivation to try that food. Yeah. You know, they might be eating something that's not their absolute favourite, but... Yeah, we don't get to all eat our favourite food every single day, every single night. Yeah, yeah. I actually, we were having a stir fry last night for dinner that Carter has turned his nose up at his entire life. And last night he ate the whole bowl full. But the night before 
he asked me what was for dinner and it was going to be that stir fry and he literally started chucking a tantrum. He was like, can't we have the crispy chicken tacos in the cupboard? <laughs> and so oh. here I am like, right, parent decides, Kate. And I said to him, because he's 11, I was like, well, we can have the crispy chicken tacos tonight instead and the stir fry tomorrow night only if you promise to not have a tantrum about it. Because either way, yeah. I'm making the stir fry this week <laughs> for dinner, for one of these dinners. And he was like, deal. Anyway, so I, I put it down. And because he'd made the promise that he wasn't going to tantrum, he just sort of looked at it in front of him. But then he ate a mouthful and he ate the whole thing. And then he was like, mum, are you proud of me? I ate this whole dinner. And then it dawned on me like later on that night, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> He's been turning right. his nose up this for such a long time. So... Mm. Not well, 10 taste, Michelle. It's more like a uh, million. Trust me. Well, you know, um, my eldest, Santhi, is quite unique in that she hates potato in every way, Interesting. shape and form, even hot chips. Wow. And any time it crosses her plate, <laughs> she will complain profusely and always says, do I have to eat this? To which I reply, no, but if you're hungry, then that's what there is for dinner. Yeah. And depending on how hungry she is, is whether or not that potato gets eaten. She never does it happily. She never, you know, digs in like her um, other sister and brother. But, yeah, it's, you know, she has, yeah, consistently gone 11 years with hating potato. <laughs> she <laughs> may never like it. such an interesting food to hate too. Yeah, they're funny little creatures, aren't they? Yep. Bless them. So let's chat now about problem feeders. So obviously the division of responsibility is great to have in a home and is it, is it part of the management strategy of a problem feeder or are we taking a, a really different tact here? Yeah, we do take a different tact. Okay, yeah. Okay, um, and so I guess it's that th- remembering that a problem feeder will go hungry. Okay? Yeah, and okay. So they will actually not eat to their energy needs because of that barrier of the problem feeding. Mm. So by presenting them with a challenge food or a food that they wouldn't normally eat, they're still not going to suddenly magically develop the skills to eat that food. Yeah. So again, that's just going to be reducing the amount of calories we can possibly get into that child. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to feeding children, our primary goal is to get calories in. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we certainly want to do that. Yeah. So when it comes to problem feeding, it's we're having to make meal times are about getting that nutrition in yeah. whatever way we have to do it that that child is capable of doing. Okay. Okay. We still want to be bringing in as much variety as possible, but it has to be within that accepted realm. Yeah. Okay. So we, there's a very common phenomena called food jags, which is where basically uh, fussy eaters do it too, but problem feeders in particular, where they have a food they're comfortable with mm-hmm. and so they do it to death is – as right. parents, you know, often we're like, yes, finally, they will eat this food yes. reliably. And so they get that food on repeat, often with problem feeders, because they actually tend to have a much narrower range of mm. accepted foods mm-hmm. than a fussy eater. So they might end up having that food three times a day because that's the only thing they'll eat. Yeah, um, wow. And they're really happy because they found a food that they're comfortable with. Yeah, and mum and dad are like, like, sweet. Yes, great, <laughs> they will eat this. But they're like all of us that, you know, there's only so many times you can eat that food. Oh, yeah, and right. And so they eventually get to the stage where it's exhausted and they don't want to eat it anymore. Mm. And so then there goes a food that they reliably ate but because they're a problem feeder, nothing else is coming back into the regimen. So, and if they're eating that a lot and it's the bulk of their diet, yeah. all of a sudden their diet goes from like this to 
Yeah, minimal now. Yeah, crazy. Okay. So, so we still want to keep variety in. Yes. Where possible. So, trying to space out how often they have those favorite foods. No matter how much they love it, Mm. we still want it to be, if possible, if we've got enough variety in their diet, to be only having it every second day. Yes. Just kind of space it out. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, our first primary goal getting that nutrition in with those accepted foods. Then, in cor- at the same time, we want to be working on building up that skill deficit <laughs> kind of thing. So, mm. you know, if it's an oral skill deficit, um, you know, having a review with a speech pathologist to see what exactly is going on there, where are they at at that yeah. present point in time with their oral motor skills. Um, from the sensory side of things, you know, we've got to work out where it is, <laughs> what's the barrier there. Um, and you're know, with those senses, it can be any of our senses. You know, eating yeah. is actually one of the very few activities we do that does involve all of our senses. Mm, and so, so having an issue in even one of those can be a really big barrier for yeah. children. It's um, like when you have a cold and you can't yeah. smell. <laughs> you can't smell it or everything suddenly tastes Weird. funny. Yeah, um, so true. Yeah. And, you know, adding onto it, as I mentioned, like that proprioception as well, you know, if we're really sensitive to how our body feels in space, you know, foods that are harder to choose tend to ever so slightly throw off our centre of gravity. If wow. we're really sensitive to that feeling, it's going to be really uncomfortable to have to chew anything difficult. So we yeah. want things that we can kind of stay nice and still with and yeah. things like that. Or yeah. So it's with that, often it can be you know, having to identify which of the senses first yep. is the one that's the issue. Yeah. Um, and then working on ways to help that child manage that sensory input. Mm. Okay, because we're not going to be able to change their sensory experience. <laughs> so no. if they are what we call an over-responder, yep. so again, really heightened sense of it might be smell, it might be taste, um, it might even be the visual, you know, just even being in the same room as the food can be really off-putting for them and things like that. Mm. So by identifying at what stage of food acceptance they are and trying to get them to be comfortable with it, okay? And one of the ways we do that is through food play sessions. Yeah. So we take away the element of eating. Yeah. We go, we, we're not going to eat this food. That's not the purpose. Yeah. But it's to have sort of sensory play sessions with the food to, you know, Food is fun. Food yeah. is enjoyable. Yeah. It's not scary. And that can be done in a multiple different ways. Mm. Um, often working with an OT as well to sort of see what supports we might need in place to help with that. Again, especially if it is to do with balance or coordination or things like that. Yeah. Wow. So you mentioned to me a few months ago, actually it was a while ago now, that you did some extra training in the SOS approach. So this is probably built into what you've just sort of talked through, but can you summarise the sauce approach for me? Yeah, sure thing. So sauce, so we're talking about sequential oral sensory approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is basically looking at where that skill, skills deficit is and at what stage of food acceptance that problem feeder is yep. and going through what would be a normal sequential, you know, pathway to food acceptance yeah Um, because we all do go through this it's just that for most of us it's not something that has to be taught no I said earlier I used the example of walking 
subconsciously. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, most infants will progress towards walking without anyone having to jump on in and do any strategic training or anything like that. <laughs> yes. Um, and so I guess that's what the sequential oral um, sensory approach is about. It's mm. for those kids that need the support coming in and teaching them, I guess, how to get to that acceptance of a food and get to eating a food. Mm. Um, and so, so it is largely based around this food exploration and food play sessions. Mm, cool. Um, and so getting children involved with foods at, at what level they're comfortable with and yeah. then sort of making it fun for them to progress and expand on that. So, yeah. you know, for example, if you have a child who does find really strong odours really offensive, um, then you, you could start by playing with foods that are in Ziploc bags. So we can play with the food but we don't have the odour kind of thing. Um, and then as they get more and more comfortable with the food, we can start to, you know, put the food out but it's a fair distance away from them at first yeah, and right. start to creep it in. They're still going to have that heightened sense of smell. That's never going to disappear. Yes. But they're having a more comfortable time with it. They're becoming okay with it. Mm. So that's what the approach is really aiming at doing is sort of creating an intervention that helps them go through what would be the normal sequence of learning to accept a food. Yeah, great. So if any of the parents listening to the episode today are kind of wondering, oh, is my kid borderlining or a problem feeder? You know, they've got a fussy eater on their hands but they're not quite sure now whether there's now something else at play here. How how could they find help? Like what would you say would be the next best thing that they should do? Uh, well, I would say definitely check in and have a chat with a paediatric dietitian. Yeah. You know, that's a really good starting place. Um, you know, if you do have concerns about their oral skills or their swallow ability, again, having checking in with a speech pathologist, having a review of that being done. Mm. Um, but you know, as a dietitian, you know, we take that diet history, we look for those patterns yep. in, you know, is there a common theme in what they're refusing? Yeah. Um, are there certain behaviours around it? Um, a really good example of this one is um, infants or children who will happily put a food in their mouth but then they spit it back out. Yeah. Um, so they're not actually showing a refusal to try new foods or involve themselves with mm. new foods but once the food's in their mouth they're spitting it back out. And that's often a very big clue that they have an issue with progressing the chew. So yeah, it's kind of right. like you put the food in, it's like, well, what do I do with this now? Uh, yeah. I can't do anything with this. Yeah. I'm going to have to get it out of my mouth. Um, so <laughs> and when he's asked his parents, <laughs> don't spit your food out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, golly, yeah. Um, um, and, and again, it's, it's looking at those reoccurring themes within yeah. their food acceptance that a dietitian can then, you know, go, oh, this sounds more likely to be just fussy eating. Let's tackle it with these strategies yeah. versus or actually I think we need to do some more investigations. This is sounding more like problem feeding. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. So Michelle is a paediatric dietitian. Mm -hmm. So if you do need to see someone, she is taking new clients. And you can do that face-to-face -face if you're in Canberra or online via Video Australia wide. So definitely get in touch. I'll pop a link to Michelle's 
about her page in the show notes. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure to be Love back on the show. Love chatting with you. <laughs> I hope you got heaps out of that, guys. If you do have a paediatric kids toddler question, please submit that to me via social media and we'll get Michelle back on the show. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody, and we'll catch you in the next episode. After years of being bombarded with diet culture, I so understand that the world of healthy eating is super, super hard. My healthy eating program helps people who are struggling with their eating habits to lose weight, feel good about themselves and eat well for the rest of their life. I do this by teaching one nutrition principle at a time and showing you how to establish this knowledge as a habit in your everyday life. This is unlike any other program on the market today that simply gives you a meal plan, a list of good and bad foods, or expects you to change everything all at once. Life's too short to live with food stress. To become a habit builder and not a crash dieter, join my program today at healthyeatinghub.com.au. Thank you so much for checking out The Daily Dollop. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so that we can spread the podcast far and wide and so you don't miss an episode.